Hello and welcome to This DVT Life. I'm your host, Renee Petrie. So here we are at episode number one. I'm excited but very nervous to be here um, now that there's an audience. But despite that nervousness, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, what would I want to talk about today? Well, the word community really popped into my head as this is the main reason why I'm doing this. Um, And I began to think a little bit more too about, you know, why do we even do DVT? Why would we even want to? So I was thinking about a trip that I had just taken to the Netherlands. And you can hear a little bit of their community day in the background. People talking and laughing and, you know, sharing things that brought them all together. And then I began to think what a privilege that is to be able to go and speak about something that I love around the world. And I wanted to share a little bit about what I spoke to some, I spoke to some students in the Netherlands about, about why I do DVT. When I was little, I used to think I was crazy. And sometimes this feeling creeps back into me with a vengeance and I'm stuck feeling it again so strongly. This idea that I must be crazy. It all started when I became aware of others. Well, not just others, actually, when I became aware that others were noticing me. That, when I was say- that what I was saying or doing actually had an impact or effect on others. And this was new to me, and perhaps that day when I first realized that a passion for DVT was born. I was in the sixth grade, and I had realized many things before this day, but for whatever reason, this day stands out very strongly to me. Our French class was out in a portable, like an outdoor trailer on the school's property that housed a classroom that had outgrown the school. I like to think that Madame Fontaine had personally requested this portable classroom trailer thingy so that she could rule the roost of her own school. She was from France and one of the meanest teachers I had ever had. I learned more from her than anyone, though, relatively speaking, I mean. But today was English class and Aesop's Fables. Stories with morals and the right thing to do in different situations. We all went out to recess and assumedly, unlike my classmates, my head was still in the clouds about these stories. I thought they were really cool. I mean, I love structures, things that told us right from wrong. And clarity had always been helpful for me. So I sat on a big rock on the playground and doodled on my cool new jeans. You see, I come from a big family, and there was never really any money to go around for the hip jeans that cost $200 or whatever. So I finally had a brand pair, brand name, excuse me, pair of jeans that fit me so well. They were still secondhand, by the way. My mom looked out at the flea market and found my size in a disregarded pair of designer jeans. And I doodled on them. Aesop's fables. Yes, those words. As if I was tagging my allegiance to those fables or to Aesop himself. He was a storyteller, and, I, and he was making it known, and I tagged, I tagged his name on my jeans with gusto. Large, bold face letters in dark blue ink. Of course, Dan, one of the coolest kids in class, a skateboarder, when it was very cool to be a skateboarder, noticed first. His recently dyed blonde hair and his undercut that was still dark hair spoke loudly. Whoa, Renee, does that say Aesop? He immediately laughs and yells to everyone, Renee's riding Aesop on her jeans! They all laugh. I immediately cover my pant leg and try to manage my feelings of shame. 
My memory of this ends there. Well, maybe some trickle effect of people wondering about it and me squelching my feelings back as if to not add any fuel to the fire with tears and ignoring what they were saying. I proceeded to scribble out my dear friend Aesop and spent the afternoon with a dark blue ink blob on my cool new pants. I can honestly still remember the feeling of sitting on that rock and the pen on my upper pant la- excuse me, pant leg thigh. It's a strange sensation when you realize that when you stake a claim on what you want, what you desire, what you need, like love, how it becomes so readily available for the potential of others' opinions. That in there lives this little moment, this little moment of this could go either good or bad, this thin line where my experience is open to others to do with it what they will. That's a risk. But it's this line where I feel we have a chance in DVT. So for example, let's take the theory. DVT says it's a performative practice based on the axiom that experience is non-repeating, causing instability through being. So... My experience of my cool jeans and tagging them and being laughed at only happened like that once. Just once. Even though I have many other moments in my life where I could fit material into that experience, I would love to clump them all together and call it those times when I got laughed at for claiming my space, or remember how Renee got laughed at, or bullying. If I merely hold that it was this one time, it almost becomes unbearable. Because I have to hold that particular time, and then this other one, and this other moment, and so on, and so on. And how do I make sense of it all? Instead, I clump them all together to stabilize my experience. To create structures and labels so that I can organize my life. Myself. Into what you see, or rather hear today. A set of patterns, repeating themselves. Renee. It's just, a, it's just a set of patterns, full of other patterns. When I was little, I used to think I was crazy. And sometimes this feeling creeps back up into me with a vengeance, and I'm stuck feeling it so strongly again, this idea that I must be crazy. You see, I love to watch. Correction. I love to watch and see where people are, literally in the space, where they're going, what they're doing. I used to be able to track any member of my family at any time. Now, I do it for the staff here at the center. If you tell me the day, and I can tell you, excuse me, (laughs) if you can tell me the day, I can tell you where someone is, probably what client they're with, and really where to find them in the building. But I don't do this consciously. Somehow, I have a knack for patterns. The idea that I must be really crazy really solidified when my little sister was sick. I imagine I was tracking before then, but when she was gone in the hospital in the other province, I think that's when it really spiked. When she was gone, I began to count at night where people were. Where were my other sisters? Which I actually wrote, first time I wrote this as kids, which is interesting, but where were they in the house? I literally would check on them in their rooms and check to see if they were breathing. I was about to lose someone, and without knowing it then, I was trying to make sure that I wouldn't lose another. So I'd track, and keep track. Where was this person? What did they say? What did they do? And how are they now? And on many different levels, I began to memorize the patterns so I could manage. I guess so I could manage other people. And if I memorized everything that was going on, I might be more prepared for what was about to happen. My head, my body, my experiences were so full of everything else that there was no room for me. 
it felt that I couldn't reach my own self, you know, somehow. I must have been crazy that I was not even able to reach myself within myself. Experience or being is, con- is constituted of both repeating and non-repeating elements. Therefore, the representation of my experience is not the same as my experience. This non-repeating element, that's the tricky one. This thing that is new over and 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 over again is always new. And it's so annoying and lovely, I guess. (laughs) The prime discrepancy brings up the primary affects. Awesome, awful, and that line, ah. The mixture of both where it holds just enough potential to be almost awful, but just enough where it's almost awesome, but we're not too sure yet. And then when it becomes something, it changes, and we feel lost. So we work to stabilize and limit the non-repeating. Well, I guess that's what I do, and I doubt that no one else does that ever. I worked very hard for a long time to ignore this new, this thing that makes the prime discrepancy so true in DVT theory. That experience is made up of repeating and non-repeating elements. That we can't confuse the things that we represent in the play as real or as the exactness to our experience. The map of the world is not the world. But what about when I need to know where to go and how to get there and how long it will take? I mean, a map is handy, right? I mean, a map helps me to get to the airport when driving the few hours to JFK. It helps me to get to my mother-in-law's hospital room. I need to stabilize, to survive, right? I mean, don't we just need this a little bit? When I was little, I used to think I was crazy. And sometimes this feeling creeps back into me with a vengeance and I'm stuck feeling it so strongly again. This idea that I must be crazy. And it really turned out to be true when I was a teenager. I was on drugs and really messed up and so far from myself that I imagined it would be really hard for me to even recognize myself. So mixed up. So unclear about who, how, what, when, or why, and so hoping that the entire map of the world would burn up and take me with it. I needed to calm the crazy within and around me. You see, there was a boy, well, a young man, and he was in love with me. So much in love with me, but really he was in love with what, I th- what he thought I was, the map. And I mean, I did make a very good map. But I wanted to be seen as me, and to be loved for me, and not just to be object of someone's crazy. Which made me crazy. And I guess I should probably say, when I I say the word crazy, I mean it in the most gentlest way. I mean it to reflect that I felt turbulence and chaos, and I didn't know what to call it, or if I had to call it, or if I should call it. And I mean crazy, but what I really should say is, me. That I was feeling the instability of being me in the world, and it made me feel unstable. And a simple way to continue to reduce the instability of feeling the instabilities is to find a label and call it something. You know, like crazy. I remember feeling so alone at times, and that sometimes calling it something like crazy called others to come closer, or allowed others to come closer, and maybe not laugh this time. Like, Aesop is so incredibly amazing that I could just ink him on my jeans, Renee, because you are so hella crazy for doing that. And I can relate. I decided that to figure out what to call things, oh, sorry, what to call myself was just the right idea. 
but I would do a trickier version, you see. I'd figure out exactly what someone wanted before they even knew it, so that I could just show up and become that thing. Huh? Hmm? A shapeshifter, right? Very clever. And so very great, and it, at least it kept me completely preserved and unavailable for any hurt that could potentially come and get me when I was least expecting it. Very clever. And this was a solution for a long time. And it still is in moments, I have to admit. I mean, I'm, I'm learning, though, slowly learning, to slow down, to see the world as it is, and to be curious about it, to not try to put it into a structure to find the pattern and claim it claim it as such to therefore be qu- be quicker than the non-repeating but rather to allow some space for the non-repeating to show themselves to me you see we don't do dvt to be perfect at instabilities we do dvt to lower our fear of them even though we know they're there and they return and we have no idea what is going to happen but we aren't afraid and i was afraid for a very long time i was afraid of other people But really, if I'm honest, I was afraid of myself, of what people said they saw in me, and what I imagined could be in me, what I could feel inside myself, and I knew that it wasn't just going to go well if I let it out. And I was scared for this to mix up with the others, and then I would really lose those tiny pieces that I had worked so hard to find and clumped together into this thing I called Renee and kept close to my heart. I was afraid that I would be found. And what would that be like? Ugh instabilities. I didn't want to really be found. I just wanted to find DVT and hang out, you know. I didn't know it then, but I can see it so clearly now. I came DV- I came the I-, I can't even say it. <laughs> I came to DVT to find me and to be with you. So why do I do DVT? Well, I do DVT to survive. To try to make sense of this world that I'm in. To try and try again to be in relationship and to fail repeatedly, day in and day out. It's a vehicle that helps me to show up in this world again after all of that, and again. I do DVT to stay alive. To feel alive. Even on those days when I don't know what that means and I could care less, so I'm staying in my bed where it's warm and nothing can can bother me except when I get hungry and I don't have to have anything to eat except for chips and I just want to eat chips all day and never worry about the shape that my body is in. Okay? I do DVT despite those days. I do DVT because I have to. Otherwise, I'd go. So there you have it. Another episode down, and hopefully the conversation's still going strong. Feel free to give me an email at thisdvtlife at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or any story ideas. Don't forget to subscribe at your iTunes store. Thanks again for listening. Take care and play on.